Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Good. Good. Beautiful day out there today. Yeah, I haven't been out yet, but uh, I'll be going soon after we've done this. This is Wednesday afternoon for people watching it after the fact. Yeah, it's... uh, it was uh, really sunny this morning, mm-hmm. but not so much today. Yeah, well, clouded up and now it's blue sky, and I mean actual blue sky out there again today after yeah. days and days of white white smoke. Uh, it's a uh, nice sight. Yeah, it was a little. Although I went for a I went for a bike ride uh, Sunday when it was a bit smoky down to Rundle Park, which is a long, fairly long bike ride for me through the valley, my wife and I. And that was just, what a fantastic bike ride. We are so lucky, Bruce, to have that river valley. I know you don't get there as much because you're out in St. Albert, but man, it is spectacular. Mm -hmm. Just such a great asset for the city. Alrighty, we are going to be talking some Oilers today. They've um, hired a couple of video coaches. Yeah, but we they, um, we'll talk a bit about that. The other big news uh, is the Cult of Hockey's Prospect Series is now wrapped up. Um, we've got we've named the final five, and we will be talking about them. The final five in order are Xavier Borgo, Raphael Lavoie, um, Matt V. Petrov, Maximus Wanner, and Tyler Tulio, and. F- one of those things is not like the other. Wanner is the only defenseman on the list. And the other all, are all uh, right shot wingers. Yeah. Um, so they're, which is good. I mean, the Oilers, they are not going to be able to keep this team together. They're going to have to trade off some players that it's going to hurt when they go. And uh, the Oilers are going to need some replacements. So it's good to have. Lots of wingers there. And in these are all guys except for Tulio who kind of track as top six or bust. Um, I guess Lavoie might if he finds a checking game. But really, uh, Borgo and Petrov are certainly scoring wingers. So we'll talk about uh, these players as well. And we'll also talk about um, just a little bit about Stuart Skinner and the possibility of a, of a sophomore jinx for Stuart Skinner. Uh, we'll look at that for a second as well. Bruce, um, I just want to, we'll just start with um, Oilers now has moved to a new time slot, yeah. five to seven, I guess. And uh, there's a couple, there's a new radio station. And, and is there another YouTube station? Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the uh, um, they're trying to uh, put Humpty Dumpty together back again uh, from uh, TSN 1260 that came crashing down three months ago just after the Stanley Cup was awarded. And after taking the summer to sort of get the pieces picked up and their lives put back together, many of the major players have shown up on one of the two platforms. So Humpty is uh, 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 Sports 1440 radio which is a 10 kilowatt transmitter from uh, Wetaskiwin as opposed to the 50 
megawatt, kilowatt, whatever. I have no one idea. One-fifth as powerful as the one that uh, the one that was on the West End in the old Sun Wafta building. So uh, it's a little further up the dial at 1440. Uh, and they also are well supported by a computer. Um, uh, the ability to listen live or on archives. And that includes... Um, Podcasts. Jason Greger from TSN that's largely running the uh, sort of the, the main man there. Uh, but among others, he's brought back uh, Alan Lowtide Mitchell, who's now uh, revisiting the low lowdown with low tide at noon to two every day. Uh, it used to be 10 to 12. Of course, noon to two used to be Dave Jameson, but also used to be Bob Stoffer. But as you say, he's moved uh, his time slot has moved up. So uh, so if you want to uh, listen to a hockey voice during the lunch window, I highly recommend my friend Low Tide on uh, 1440 or sports1440.com, I think it is. But uh, And I'm on Wednesdays at 1 o'clock for that. And uh, now you, are you still on Bob's show? Uh, I don't know. I, I oh, think okay. so now and then I will be. Yeah, he's kind of in flux, eh? and so are you. You've done a lot of traveling lately. Well, yeah, we got our own show here to worry about. <laughs> yeah, we do. That's, that's all I yes, care Yes, we do, really. with our post-game shows, and we're getting close to the time they're going to be games. Now, this will be our last Prospects show, so uh, yeah. Uh, so there's that. So uh, Anyway, the other crew is now, Dustin uh, Nielsen and company oh, yeah. are doing a thing on, on, uh, uh, <clears throat> on the uh, uh, Internet and also on YouTube, and uh, that one is, uh, um, I haven't had a chance, I think today is their first day and I haven't even had a chance to pick it up yet. All I know is it's nice to have, uh, be able to listen to new breaking news uh, as it happens on the radio, such as the uh, hire that the orders made yesterday of the uh, two new video coaches that, uh, you know, heard it on the radio. Hey, I know about it already, as opposed to checking Twitter once in a while or you know, there's it's uh, it's a more direct uh, form of being on top of things. So yeah, I I'm welcome, Twitter, I welcome them both, and uh, I wish good luck yeah. to Bob in his new slot. And uh, uh, with uh, he's going to be a pretty busy man at nights with the work he does during games on game nights. He's going to be real busy. Yeah, yeah. I get my news from Twitter for for the Oilers <laughs> and and Oilers now, and I'm going to miss really miss Oilers now at noon. I really, mm-hmm. I mean, now I didn't always listen to it then, but I would certainly, you know, um, my deadline for writing now is around four o'clock in the afternoon right. for the journal. And, mm-hmm. you know, Oilers Now podcasts would be available then. I'd listen to them right. as I go out into the River Valley to exercise. And I'm going to miss that, having that. But, you know, it's just You're a got matter of getting days. used to it. Yeah. I, I, I listen, I think it's a terrible idea, honestly, to move to the five o'clock dinner hour. And I don't, I don't know what tall foreheads thought that one up, but man, Mm. they need to give their collective heads a shake. Seems like a malfunction at the junction, as Ed Whalen used to say when heads used to bang into each other. Because it, it's a great time to have the minds. Stoffer, yeah, Stoffer. You know, it was right after practice. There's a lot of news that happens then. It was a really good moment in the day, I think, to break yeah. news uh, about the mm-hmm. Oilers. I don't get it. Anyway, Bob is an extremely mm-hmm. resilient, skilled, hardworking guy, and he, he, he'll make this work. But uh, I, I personally, just as a listener of the show, mm-hmm. really like the noon to, to two slot. 
and I like you, I wish these other shows, it's a new media age. This is uh, really interesting what, what's being attempted here. And these guys are starting something up. Good luck to them all. Mm-hmm. And uh, especially to Alan Mitchell, uh, who we both know and uh, like, and he does excellent work. So good luck to you, Alan. And uh, uh, Bruce, you'll be on that show. That's you. I know mm-hmm. you've been on that show for years. So Ten years or more. I, I don't know. It's been been a good solid 10 years and I've been a weekly guest, so pick up where we left off. I think I insulted Alan in a friendly manner and sort of the first reply to his first question yesterday. (laughs) And on we go. We just have a conversation that just carries on whenever the opportunity presents. Bruce, um, there was this kind of uh, hiring yesterday video at slash mm-hmm. analytics from guys. It's clear Mike Finelli was the guy who's kind of got an analytics title, analytics coordinator. He, he's mainly doing, it sounds like both of the guys hired are doing um, video work and working with the coaches and uh, providing them information, working with the players, giving them video clips, that kind of stuff, working on the, you know, offsides when, when, a, when a goal has mm-hmm. to be uh, called back at just the right moment. Right. Um, they'll be there. So um, Jeff Jackson, the owner's new hockey boss. And Bruce, I have to, I, I need to preface this by saying um, when um, Rick Pracy, I always forget his name, was hired as head scout, you said it was a Jackson move. And it turns, you were, I, and I was speculating, well, it could be a Holland move. Maybe he's seen the light, but you were correct on that. Jackson um, on Oilers now yesterday essentially said it was his move and nothing against Tyler Wright, he said, but he doesn't know Tyler Wright. He knows Pracy. Pracy's an expert on the Ontario Hockey League, which is where the best, it's the best development league in the world. So he's he's one of many voices, as Jackson made clear, but he is, um, he's someone who Jackson clearly knows, works well with, respects, admires, and thinks can uh, lead a, a, gr- a great team of scouts. Anyway, um, Jackson was asked by Stoffer about Edmonton's new approach on analytics and, and, and Jackson took that as an opportunity to talk about the overall plan again. And I'll just read his quote from that. Jackson says, quote, there's a bunch of things to look at really carefully and certainly looking at how, how the team uses analytics, building that department into something a little bit more substantial. But again, I want the Oilers to be best in class in everything we do. Mm-hmm. I'll read that again. I want the orders to be best in class in everything we do. We have two of the best players in the world. We have a lot of really great leaders in the room, but it's incumbent on us in management to do everything well so we have mm-hmm. a long run here. It might it might be win now, but we want to be in a position to compete now and every single year. And in order to do that, you have to have all of those other areas being strong foundational right. pieces. And hearing that, I mean, I think he's made that, pro- this is not the first time he's made that, but, you know, um, there's been a lot of criticism over the years about the order's lack in various mm-hmm. areas yeah. of, including analytics and um, various it's, it's scouting just, departments. Scouting departments. It's interesting to hear him say that. And he's got yeah. a bit of weight. Like, he, it's not like, um, it just, it just, when you hear him talk about his work as an agent, I mean, he was one of the most successful agents in hockey before he came here. He was in the Toronto Maple Leafs organization for four or five years um, as uh, in, in management, running various things. And 
Um, that wasn't a super successful organization at that time, but his work as an agent, like, I mean, the thing that struck me is just him hiring skills and other uh, coaches to help the players, like when they're 14, 15, 16, 17, mm -hmm. to get them ready for the draft to be pro players. And um, that was very impressive that he did that. And, you know, if this promise had been made, if this promise had been made a few years ago, people would have scoffed and laughed, I think. There would have been a lot of uh, nasty remarks on social media about any Oilers person, boss, making these kinds of claims. You're not hearing that right now. Uh, Jackson is being, um, he's widely admired by the vast, vast majority of Oilers fans in a way that even Ken Holland with his record of success was not when he arrived here. Now, to give Holland credit, this isn't exactly a smoldering, wrecking, rusting junk heap of a team, that organization that Jeff Jackson is joining. Since Holland took over in 2019-20, after not making the playoffs two years in a row, the Oilers have had the eighth best record in the NHL. And since um, February of 2022, since Jay Woodcroft took over as coach, they've had the second best overall record at the NHL. They've won three playoff series in the last two years, over the last two years. So this is clearly a franchise. I mean, that it's it's not it's not what it was before Holland got here. Ken Holland did a lot of good work, and he, in a way, he's been able, I think, to. Um, He's made a lot of good decisions. I mean, to give an excuse for Shirelli, losing Oscar Clefbaum and Andre Sakura to injury really screwed oh. that team in his last two years as, oh. as GM. It, the team probably would have made the playoffs, I think. No, he he, he screwed up Shirelli with some of his moves, you know, the Milan Lucic signing, uh, the Griffin Reinhardt trade. But um, anyway, the team, the team was in trouble, but... Um, and he just couldn't move fast enough to replace um, Clefbaum and Secker in the short term and get that team going. Holland, I mean, the moves he's made um, in the last, and I'll just highlight two of them. In the last two years, in season, he's made the two, I think, the two best moves in season that I've seen in the NHL, bringing in Evander Kane one year and Matthias Ekholm the next. And, um, you know, just two fantastic hockey players, if Kane was injured last year. Hopefully, he'll be back to his old self this year. But um, and this summer, you know, Connor Brown was a much coveted free agent, and um, they brought him in on kind of an interestingly, it's a valued, yeah. structured contract that allows the Oilers to, with limited cap space, to have a better team this year than they would have had. We'll have a bit this more pain next year. This year. And and they. This is this is a good idea. I think you know you, you want to compete this year and next year. You worry about that when it gets here. You can always make some trades, and wow. it's going to take a lot of creativity every year um, in order to compete. And they bought, they wanted to make sure they were competing this year, and they did that. That Connor Brown uh, move, I think, was a really strong one. So well, from Ken Holland's point of view, it might be someone else that's doing the moving next year. Like he's on the last year of his contract. And yeah, the kind I, I don't know, I'm sorry to say the buzz. I'm too far from Edmonton to get buzzed, but the kind of vibe I'm getting is that he's going to be done after this year in that role. They may find some other uh, some other place to put him, you know, senior advisor. 
uh, assistant senior advisor to Bob Nicholson or something, you know, but uh, he's uh, uh, going, I think this this will be it for him as GM. I think the, the, the tide is changing. And I think that this move of, of Tyler Wright out, Collins man out for uh, Jackson's man in, I think that's a huge tell. Because you're going to say Jackson's man at GM is also not Holland's man, namely Holland himself. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with it with you this time, Bruce. <laughs> you got it right last time. I I just didn't have like the like I didn't have information to know mm-hmm. whose decision mm-hmm. it was. Well, now we do. And ja- but you're right. The vibe I'm getting, especially this latest interview, it just he's running this team. Jeff Jack. This is Jeff right. Jackson's. Yeah, yeah. Team. He is. Yeah, he, yeah. he's he's is, in a position he's, above Holland, and he's just sort of. Yeah. Now I don't know what the GM like, what the difference. But he's the de facto GM. Like he's he's the Glenn Sather of the team, is mm-hmm. Jeff Jackson right now. He's the guy, and and he's working with Holland and learning from Holland. I think, and it's a it's a very I think a kind of an elegant passing of the reins to a new um, wagon master. It's um, to have Holland there and for Jackson mm-hmm. to work closely with him for a year is a hell of a good idea. Because no, say what you I want agree. about Ken Holland, he, his people skills and his, I think, his understanding of team building are exceptional. Mm-hmm. And um, just, you know, we've talked about Holland and, in, in, you know, you've brought up it a few times how every player who signs here, they get a chance. They get their opportunity. It's like there's a program for every single one of them. And the orders mm-hmm. live up to that obligation. Okay, you're going to get your 10, 20 games at some point, and that happens. And he just Holland does that again and again and again. He, I think it's a he, they've been a class act under him, Bruce. And while you're while you're getting your 10 or 20, 30 games here, that young guy that we brought you into camp to compete with, he's going to continue marinating down in the minors because we're going to give you the first chance, and that young guy can just keep playing in the minors and we'll bring him up when he's ripe or overripe. You know, I mean, that's sort of been the general approach. And uh, I'll say this about Ken Holland. Uh, the Oilers' regular season points percentage was 482 in 2018-19, the year Peter Shirelli was fired. And uh, since then, 585, uh, 643 in the Silo League, uh, the Canadian division, uh, 634 back in the full league. And then last year, 665. I mean, this is a, a consistently strong team, right? You can't just say, well, they're just edging their way into the playoffs each year. They're Each year they're entering the playoffs in a stronger position than the year before. And uh, last year they got a crappy break with the seedings, I thought. But uh, other than that, they, uh, uh, you know, they in terms of uh, how the regular season went, uh, the only problem was that in each of those seasons they finished second in their in their division, closer and closer and closer. Last year just two points, but that's uh, well the the first bubble they need to burst is win the division and you know just not 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 take quite so much stress during the season and and save a little save a little more in the tank for the postseason. That's kind of the first bubble is to to, to not have those crappy starts. That make you grind it out. Terrible December's. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. Um, before we get into the prospects, <laughs> let's just quickly talk about um, Stuart Skinner. Mm. So there, there was a fantasy writer um, for Dauber Hockey writing about how um, 
he was skeptical of the Oilers. He wasn't. He's not taking Stuart Skinner on any of his fantasy teams because NHL goalies have a uh, tend to have a slump in their second season. So um, I looked at that and I'm thinking, oh, that can't, you know, forget, you know, that's not going to be true. That's that's just someone who doesn't like the Oilers and <laughs> just poo-pooing on Stu Skinner, who's going to be just fine. So so I thought, well, I better. Obviously, that's my gut reaction. I better check this out. And the writer is Alexander McLean of Dauber Hockey. Anyway, um, when I did dig into it, Bruce, what I did was just a, a back of the envelope study where I looked since the 2005-06 season. So a good long stretch. And that's when the uh, CBA changed and hockey changed quite a bit. Um, since I looked at every, the goalie who had finished highest in the Calder voting, how he did in his next season, how many of them improved and how many of them um, went down. And um, it was kind of shocking uh, that 12 out of the 15 goalies saw their save percentage drop hmm. and a number of them saw it crash in dramatic fashion. Um, so, you know, that includes Robin Leonard, Matt Murray, Jimmy Howard, uh, Jordan Bennington, Carey Price, and is it Steve Mason? I think it's Steve Mason. Uh, of Andrew Columbus. Raycroft, is he on that list? He, he must he be before, before then. Yeah. So there was, <laughs> what he said was proven out by the facts. He This is true. It, it's not always true. There was a couple, mm-hmm. and in recent years, um, both Swayman and Shesterkin actually had better save percentages in their, um, the last two guys have had better save percentages. Even fantastic or second seasons and their great rookie seasons. Correct. So, uh, but that was interesting that so many, now most of them played more games in their second season as well. They were were carrying a heavier workload. So maybe it was the workload. And the other thing about Stu Skinner is this is really in some ways his third season. He played about, he played, I think 12 games. Um, Let me see, uh, 13 games, 13 games in 21, 22, which didn't qualify. You got to play 25 games to be an official rookie. So he, he, but that's a month month and a half in the NHL that he that he had under his belt and then he had his rookie season last year and um so he was was he the backup goal in the playoffs then in uh no no it was it was Koskinen uh he played when Smith was hurt he played a lot and then when Koskinen had COVID he played it some and then when Smith came back and somehow passed the medical and so early February, Skinner played one game in San Jose, got a shutout, and then they sent him down, and he never came back that year. Uh, that was his last. That was his last game of uh, 21-22, uh, and then he was really good down in the down in the farm. And then this year, because he they couldn't they couldn't send him out without waving him, so he just stayed with the team all year. But that was you know his fifth year before he was he was uh, you know finding a position where the team just couldn't send him out because they could, right? Like, yeah. He literally forced his way into the NHL, I would assess it. So about half the goalies lost about 15 to 20 uh, percentages off their save percentage. Mm-hmm. And that's significant. Like if Stuart Skinner yeah. does that this coming year, that's a disaster for the Oilers unless Jack Campbell steps up. So, you know, it's it was a, it's an interesting thing. The thing is, mm-hmm. these are all individuals. 
They're all their own person. We're just talking about the average of a certain kind of goalie that shares the same characteristics of being good in his first season. You know, you make of it what you, what you will, but it really means it's meaningless at the individual level. He is an individual and um, he will he'll make his own way. He'll forge his own destiny here and we'll see how he does. But uh, that was, it, you know, n- nonetheless, you know, he is part of a, you know, he is part of this group. Yep. And that oh, trend, right. not a very, not a very pleasant trend. Mm-hmm. Hope it doesn't, I hope he is the anomaly. No, somebody on Twitter was talking about the same thing and, and I think mentioned your post. They said one of the trends they noticed was, I think I went into it in some length. One of the trends they noticed was a goalie who had a sudden drop off, tended to bounce back towards his his standard in the next year, you know, sort of a bungee jump. Yes. So he's hoping that uh, Jack Campbell will be yeah, there you that go. guy. So he says, you know, if Skinner drops 10 points and Campbell rises 20. He didn't say this. I'm, I'm interpreting that yeah. if Campbell rises 20 points, the amount of games played will change. Uh, but the overall, you know, team save percentage won't suffer. And the other thing to note about the, the, this rookie list, this list that I put together, the people, the goalies mm-hmm. who won the, these are some of the best goalies. Like even if they had a down second year, like it's, we're looking at Henrik Lundqvist, mm-hmm. Carey Price, Mike Smith, Jimmy Howard, Corey Crawford, Robin Lehner, Frederick Anderson, John Gibson, Matt Murray, Jordan Biddington, Igor Shesterkin. That's a good list to be on. Mm-hmm. I didn't list yeah. them all. I just, I, you know, I left off the, the weaker ones like Merzlikens and... Um, Michael right. Hutchinson, but mm-hmm. it, most of these goalies, at least ten out of the fifteen, twelve, you know, eleven, twelve out of the fifteen, became very good NHL goalies. You know, good to great NHL goalies. So it, it was. It's nice to see Stewart's name on that list. Overall, if we go even from local history here in Edmonton, uh, Andy Moog and Grant Fuhrer both had very difficult sophomore years. Uh, that saw both of them spend ex- extended stretches in the minor leagues. After being very prominent as rookies, Moog, of course, uh, engineering that memorable three-game sweep of the mighty Montreal Canadiens in uh, 81. And then that fall, Grant Fuhrer, age 18, coming to camp, uh, came in and won the job from Andy Moog. So Moog went to the minors. And then the next year, Fuhrer, after his great rookie season, uh, he kind of imploded early in year two and uh, uh had a couple of outbursts that didn't help his cause any, and he wound up in uh, uh, in the minors for a chunk of that year. So I wouldn't compare so much Sue Skinner to them, though, as to a guy like Devin Dubnik, who was an Oilers goalie who didn't make it right away, but he came up through the system a couple of years in the minors, a few games with the Oilers one year, more games the next year. By then, he's, you know, full-time uh, backup goalie, and Dubnik just until his ultimate crash year and uh, 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 dare I say the Dallas Aikens uh, experience in 2013. But up until then, he got just gotten better and better and better in all of his years as an Oilers um, uh, prospect and then player. And Skinner seems to be more on one of those sort of steady rise kind of kind of roles to me. But as you say, everyone's an individual. We'll, we'll see what happens. I have a good feeling about Stuart Skinner as a goalie. I um, he's he looks like the real deal to me, but we'll see. We'll see. The Dallas Aikens experience. 
Is that anything <laughs> like the Jimi Hendrix experience? Oh, man. That was the least surprising thing I read yesterday. And I haven't actually read the article yet, but I intend to. Uh, was the uh, someone's summary of uh, article Neil Yakupov had, where he talked about how he loved Ralph Kruger and, and uh, did not love Dallas Akins. And I'm going, yeah, that certainly matches my memory of Dallas Akins benching Neil Yakupov for his first ever game in Toronto, where he played near where he played junior, and then benching him the next game in Washington against his childhood hero Alex Ovechkin. And I thought he's going to lose this player, and well, the player lost himself. Let's be fair, but but, but yeah. his relation when when he was with Ralph Kruger, uh, Kruger had him doing the good things that got him there, and he had a 17 goal in a very short season, rookie season, and. He just took a big step back from there and never recovered. And that coincided with the coaching change. I'll leave it there. Yeah, I don't know if um, it is an interesting question that if Kruger had remained a few more years, if Yakupov's career might have ended up differently. I'm not convinced of that at this point, considering no, the lack I'm of success. I'm not either. I mean, yeah. I mean, who yeah, would have guessed that the linesman was going to tackle him and wreck his knee? You know, I mean, there's lots of things that you can never. You know, That's 4C. It's just stuff happens. Yeah. He always seemed to have Yakupov quite a bit of talent. He just seemed nervous out there. Like, he never could really execute never in could the settle end. Settle down. Yeah. yeah. Not unlike Pulley in a lot of ways. There's, it's, it's funny, eh? Like, a lot of it is, I think, in some ways, maybe psychological. And, you know, anyway, we don't know these players, so we can only guess. Bruce, um, our prospects. see on the ice. Yeah, that's right. Our prospect series has wrapped up. Mm. Um, so the we both, you know, there there was wide agreement that Borgo was the top pick. I think I was the only one that might. I think I had Petrov number one, but we both favored um, Matt V. Petrov over Raphael Lavoie, mm. and had Tulio like of these four wingers near the top. Um, mm. It was kind of Borgo. Uh, Petrov, Lavoie, then Tulio. Why that order for you? What are you thinking about these guys? Yeah. Uh, I guess, I mean, it really is a toss-up between uh, those two guys in particular who are, you know, the right-shot wingers. They're both left-wingers who shoot right, uh, whereas all the other right-wingers on the list, of which are quite a few, are, are generally uh, right-wingers. Uh, I... I guess I'm just seeing a little bit more upside from uh, from Petrov, and maybe, uh, you know, we haven't yet experienced the disappointment of his, you know, being slow into the pro ranks. We've just seen him rise rapidly from a sixth round draft pick into a, you know, a signed player who's uh, 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 looking like he's hitting hitting uh, the pro ranks with a bit of a of a skating start, and. Uh, I like the upside of the player as an offensive player, and I really am kind of clueless about how how he is defensively, other than I hear not great, you know, but whether he's going to be able to, to uh, work on that part of the game, I suspect it'll be a big focus of his first year in professional ranks. 
and something he's going to have to pay attention to if he wants to get ice time down there because there's a whole bunch of guys like uh, Borgo and Tulio and uh, Savoy who are uh, uh, wingers, young offensive-minded wingers looking for ice time as well. Uh, but uh, I would think the coaching staff there would be emphasizing the, you know, the how to get the puck back part of the the game quite a bit to all those guys, really, and, and as they should. And to me, Borgo is clearly ahead of the class in that department already. And he, for me, he was a uh, a strong number one on, you know, what frankly is not that deep of a list. Uh, but uh, uh, it's uh, uh, for Petrov versus Lavoie, had a pretty good last year. And uh, he's closer, certainly closer to being an uh, NHLer. He's very likely to be one this year, whereas for Petrov, almost no chance. And can he re- retain the momentum he had last year? Uh, it's the whole second half of the year. He sure seemed to have it figured out. And it's the longest stretch of consistent good play we've seen from this guy. Probably since he was in the playoffs in the queue the year that he went to Memorial Cup after the Oilers had drafted him. He was good for a long time then, too. But uh, as a pro, he's really been kind of up and down, up and down, and then he's going to cut it in the NHL. So uh, I do think the way things fell out with the contracts, the fact that he signed one for, you know, hundred grand over the league minimum, which at the time was uh, draw some criticism, and I don't see even Kurt uh, in, in rating this player uh, as our number two overall, uh, brought up that point. And if it had been a case like last year, where they're so close to the cap that every dollar made a difference. But this year, it looks like they're going to have a few hundred grand to spare with a 21-man roster. So whether that 21st guy makes 875 or 775 is not the end of the world. It's not the defining thing. Yeah. Uh, whereas last year, you know, we had um, guys sent out because, uh, you know, Matthias Janmark sent out because he was making too much money. And it was as simple as that. And so for for uh, Lavoie, he kind of put a, put a little pressure on himself by doing that, but uh, I think he'll get away with it in terms of they will be able to fit him on the roster, and I think he will get first look because they don't want to lose him on waivers before they have a better idea of what they got. Who would yeah. trade a six foot four, two hundred and fifteen pound or whatever he is, uh, uh, hard shooting, quick release, you know, uh, winger. Like he's got a lot of things you'd like to see in a in a power forward. Let's so let's see. So I I think he's uh, he's first in line for a job uh, with the Oilers this year out of anybody on this prospects list. <coughs> yeah, uh, Kurt Levins wrote about or no, it was uh, Ira Cooper who wrote about uh, Tyler Tulio, and um, he's kind of a smaller player. Uh, he's the smallest of the of these players, but he plays with some real edge. And um, he, uh, he, Ira described him as Brendan Gallagher light. So he, he's, he's the one player who could make the team eventually as um, a third or fourth line winger. Mm-hmm. And um, so, but he's almost certainly going to be playing in Bakersfield this year. I don't yes. be highly unlikely, but he's, he's a very, uh, and he's got a good shot. Um, Petrov. Um, I heard, I think it was Brian Kerlock who was saying what he'd like to see from Petrov. 
No, it was Savoy, actually. I'm going back to Savoy now, Carter Savoy, who we've already talked about. He said Savoy loops around the ice too much. He's got to stop and just do more stops and starts going. Mm-hmm. And you hear that about a lot of players. Um, it's not an unusual. Around the net. Anyway, uh, for me, for with Petrov, as well, I actually had Petrov number one on my list. Mm-hmm. And um, I just... Uh, Borgo's rookie season in the HL was pretty unimpressive statistically. He didn't put up a lot of points. Now, you pointed out, which was really fair, that he uh, was one of the youngest players in the AHL last year. Yep. Uh, he was 19. Um, is, is he at October birthday? Yes. Okay, so he's a 19-year-old. A few guys maybe with November or December birthdays that would be a month or two younger than him, but he'd be in the youngest. Yeah. Couple he's got all kinds league. of skill. Xavier Borgo, I've watched him in a few games. Man, he is a he's an tr- incredibly skilled hockey player. Dangle, so, man. yeah, he's really good with the puck, and he's 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 not bad getting the puck out too. He's got some battle in his game, so I think he's a he's a very good prospect. What I liked about Petrov, his his junior numbers in a in a really tough league, the OHL, were I thought comparable to um Xavier Borgos. They, there wasn't a lot to choose between the two of them mm-hmm. in terms of how many points they were putting up. Petrov's bigger. He's a bigger player. Um, and I just thought, well, there's two players who have similar very similar junior numbers. And this one's bigger. Um, he's he's improved uh since he got drafted. Um he's showing every sign of uh, you know at dev camps of being you know a high skill player. Um He's yet to go on the HL. Maybe he'll have the same kind of rookie season that Borgo did. Probably he will, right? Like realistically. Mm-hmm. But I just thought we haven't seen that. And Borgo's rookie season wasn't great, but maybe this guy will do better. And right now, um, so that's, it's kind of an unknown. Um, Le- Raphael Lebois. I wrote the post about Petrov and, and I pointed out that, uh, uh, you know, for all the guys that broke in last year, Savoy, Tulio, and Borgo, that were all first year wingers. None of them scored 15 goals uh, or 35 points, uh, with, with Borgo being the best at 13 and uh, 34, respectively, in 62 games. Uh, but that's actually not bad for uh, for such a young AHLer to get yeah. even half a point in a game. Like you think, 34 points for the first-round pick, that stinks. But it actually doesn't stink. It's a tough league, uh, especially when you're the youngest guy in it or next thing to it. So I thought that the points total was, I mean, you raise your eyebrow a little bit and you think, well, it's, it's, uh, uh, but the fact that he was on the penalty kill right from the beginning of the year is, uh, as uh, Ira Cooper uh, uh, pointed out to us, who's our, who watch more Condors games than most of any of us on the, uh, uh, on the uh, voting panel. And he was really helpful in providing eyeball reports on some of the other guys. And he did the Tulio report. But he said Borgo was on the PK right from the start. And he said, unlike the other guys, he was on the coach's trust list right from the beginning. He never got healthy scratched. Uh, he said he got, you know, he was in the top six most of the time. They move him down the lineup but not out of the lineup. And they wouldn't lose him down the lineup for a month. You know, they just give him a wake-up call, and move him around a bit. And uh, so I'm fine with all of that. Uh, so, you know, there were some ups and downs in his uh, season, but guess what? He's a 20-year-old rookie pro. He's going to have some ups and downs in his season. And for me, I set the bar at Petrov at the exact same, 15 goals, 35 points. If he can do those things, and he did more than anybody did this year, and he's going to have to do it against the competition of 
Whiteford, Burgos, Tullio, and Savoy, because they're all still going to be on the team. Offensive-minded wingers. So he's going to be in with a lot of competition, and we'll see how he fares. And Raphael Lavoie might be on this team. Oh, he could still be back there, yeah. He could be if he clears waivers. Lavoie, mm-hmm. um, I've always I've liked him. I saw him play a lot in Sweden in the COVID year. He was big yes. and aggressive, great shot, yes. fierce yes. offensive player. He 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 was inconsistent as heck in yes. the AHL, and he just finally came on. I mean, it was, looked like Sweden he was team. at the start of last year. Looked like it's going to be a write-off as a player because he just wasn't even scoring. Like he, he's, you've got to score. At that mm-hmm. level, and then he started to do so. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, we he could be the surprise that he could be the clean cost of this year. Now, Ira says these are stylistically different players, and and I accept that. But Lavoie could be costing got it some nice scoring, some opportunistic scoring at the NHL level, and we could certainly see that from Raphael Lavoie. He's got a good yeah. shot and a good nose for the net. Yeah, you give him those looks that Costin got. He he's going to put some in the net for sure because he can really shoot the pill. You know. Yeah, Lavoie, Lavoie can. So, Indeed. I just want to hear one game on the radio. Lavoie, Rod Phillips Savoy. announced. Rod Phillips announcing. It's Lavoie and Savoy on the same line. <laughs> Sir Rodney. The, Sir Rodney. The fourth player on our list, Bruce, was Maximus Wanner, mm. and he Maximus Wanner was drafted 212th. Overall, in the 2021 draft, he only played 17. It was a COVID year, and there was, I think, he only played 21 games, league games, and he played 17 of them. He had four assists, so there wasn't a huge window to see this player, and he ended up being drafted, but drafted very late in the draft. And what I wanted to know first of all was, okay, how often do these guys drafted in the seventh round ever make it? And again, these are all individuals. Uh, Maximus Weiner is an individual and he will forge his own fate. But, you know, one of the things you try to do is look at actuarial tables of groups of players to, to kind of figure out, okay, here's, here's where all of the NHL scouts collectively valued this player at that time, seventh round. And, you know, how do the NHL scouts at least do in their valuations of seventh round defensemen? Do they usually get that right? Because, if, an, if one of those defensemen has an NHL career, the scouts actually got it wrong. Should have been taken higher, that player. But um, the scouts are actually pretty good because when you look I at the history, I, I, I went back to the year 2000 and looked at every seventh round um, draft mm-hmm. pick. And I'll just, I'll just read the start of my story because it sums up uh, what I found. This century in NHL entry drafts between 2000 and 2021, teams have taken 195 defensemen, 200th overall or lower. So that's 195 D-men taken after 200 in the draft. These are bottom basement picks. All of them were gobbled up long after far more accomplished and promising players were selected. But of those 195 D-men selected out of the bottom of the barrel, 11 of them became solid NHLers with one more on his way. These 11 players all played 300 plus NHL games with Anton Strollman leading the way, mm-hmm. 938 regular games played, regular season games played, then Dustin Bufuglian, 869, Johnny Aduya, 850, and Justin Braun, 842. D-men drafted in recent years haven't yet had this chance to hit the 300 mark, but I suspect right. Jacob Middleton, who has now played 159 games in the NHL, has a good shot. 
There may be a few more Middleton, more than Middleton who will shoot up. And one of them who could is Maximus Wadder of the Oilers. Because something interesting has happened. And, and, and the reason he's fourth on our list, I'm trying to get at why the heck do we have a, he's got a one in 17 chance, you know, if you go by the actuarial tables of making it as a solid NHLer. Why do we have him fourth? What are we, what, you know, what's going on with this player? And what's gone on, Bruce, is every year since his rather unimpressive uh, draft season, he's been getting better. Um, he's been, yeah, 23 points in 55 season, games the next season, and then 30 points in 44 games um, this last year. This last year, he was plus 23, the best number on his team by a significant margin after being minus four the year before that. He's big. He's six foot three, 184 pounds on hockey DB. I mean, he's, he's at an age where he's going to be packing on some some muscle and some weight. We've seen him in dev camps. You've seen him in two. I've seen him in one. We've seen him in some games now, and he has looked good. He's looked good with the puck. He's looked uh, agile on his skates. He's looked like a player. He's yet to earn um, the respect any kind of buzz from um, the two athletic writers, Scott Wheeler and Corey Pronman, who rate prospects. They're, he's not on their radar. They're not saying this is a, a prospect. So either uh, um, we're ahead of them and maybe we have it wrong. Like they, they, It's possible yeah. that we're closer to Wadder than, than they are, I suspect. Mm-hmm. And paying, yeah. like they're not well, those long shots, like they have no chance of being on top of all the long shots too. Yeah, I mean these so, guys are covering the top 150 in the draft every year or whatever, but uh, uh, there's there's lots of depth and and uh, the Oilers. I mean, we've lifted a lot of guys up into the top five who are low round draft choices because well, guess what? That's all the Oilers have got left because they keep trading away their uh, their higher picks and they've graduated guys from. Um, uh, from the prospects list, and they haven't really replenished it because they, you know, in the last two years they only had seven draft picks, Dave, and only two of them were in the top 150. And one of the two was uh, uh, Reed Schaefer that they subsequently traded away. So you know, there's just no new sort of sort of glittering young talent coming in. But what I am seeing uh, is filling that void is some pretty decent mid-range picks that look like they might have some some real potential. And and we've mentioned several of them today in, in Tulio, Petrov, and uh, Wanner that, uh, you know, are picked late and uh, uh, have just done nothing but up arrow since. And uh, Wanner, I mean, you know, one little tiny part of me says, this is Colton Pareko, you know, I mean, they just picked a great big guy out of nowhere uh, that nobody knew anything about. And uh, uh, the Oilers themselves, I spoke with uh, with one of them at the dev camp with uh, with one of the uh, those in the scouting department, and he said they got lucky with Wanner that nobody saw him. They said they had a pretty good idea on the guy, and and he was still there. They seventh round. They uh, and they got lucky uh, too, right? Got lucky, yeah. He was there. He was there. He's on the depth chart, Bruce, for the farm team, for the HL team this year. He's going to be with the farm team this year. I, yes. They have got, um, as I see it on the left side, they'll have Marcus Niemelainen, 
um, Deneen, what's his first name? Deneen's first name and uh, Noel Hoffenmeyer. Cam Deneen and Noel Hoffenmeyer. That's a very strong AHL group on the left side. Um, Deneen and Hoffenmeyer, like all those players are are solid, like really solid AHLers. And on the right side, they'll have Phil Kemp, Ben Gleason, and Uh Max Wanner. So Wanner is starting out third. Gleason's also a Gleason's a lefty, though, right? Yes, but I think he plays, if I'm not mistaken, maybe it'll be Hoffenmeyer plays the other side. One of those two will play yeah. play the right side, and the other one will be on the left. Kemp is uh, a solid HLer. This is a solid group of players, so Wanner's going to have a hard time. But I I, w- I suspect he'll start out playing the penalty kill, getting a regular turn on the penalty kill, third pairing minutes. And I'm hoping by the end of the year that he's worked his way into the top four on that team and um, is... Uh, you know, getting uh, 20 minutes a game, all told, between regular ice time and, and PK time. That, um, but we'll see. He's this is his big this is his big um, test. And a lot of defensemen um, have a struggle in their first AHL season as well. It's not unusual. Let's just see how Colton Pareko did because I, I I wonder did he make the NHL uh, right out of. Uh, but um, I'm looking forward to seeing him in some rookie games and mm-hmm. in an NHL uh, exhibition game too, because he looked he looked good uh, when we uh, last saw him. Right, we saw him he, just a few months ago. I saw yeah, I saw him in Dev Camp. Weiner, guy's got he's got some real uh, uh, he's got some real uh, decent level of skill for for you know big D man pick so low you'd expect you know a woodchopper kind of player. Uh, but he skates pretty good. He skates with the puck very well, and he's got the sort of transitional skating where he can carry the puck and like you know transition from lateral to forward or backward. And I look very comfortable doing so. And oftentimes these younger, especially bigger later round guys, you know, I'm thinking of guys like Ben Betker uh, or young Vincent DeHarnay for that matter, that you appreciate their size, but you know, they kind of, kind of don't look that coordinated out there. And, and Wanner for such a big young guy, uh, he's, uh, uh, he doesn't seem to have that issue at all. And, and he are quite comfortable with the puck on a stick. And it's hard to tell, you know, three on three, four, uh, format training camp, or, you know, yeah. not even training camp. And they're, you know, they're, I call them scrubs in the best, Scott Young tradition, not 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 meant as an insult, just you know, training camp class players. And when you're playing a weird format, you know, a guy with skill. We saw Michael Kesselring do the same thing over and over again at the Billy Morris Cup. You know, where yeah. he would just impose himself on the thing, and whether you know it was strong hockey sense and good positional play, well, three on three. I don't know how much any of that applies. So. So you want to see him play in a more structured situation to uh, get a better sense of him. But we may not have been wrong about Kesselring. Like we we were optimistic about him all along because NHL, of what we man. saw, and he played in the NHL <laughs> nine games last year. Like he's one of the guys of these. Yeah. He's actually drafted around 160, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's, good. A, he's in a different, slightly different class. He's yeah, six but he's <laughs> yeah. So um, in Colton Pareko's two years after he was drafted, he played for two years at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And then he played a th- this his third year after draft, which is what Wanner is this year. He uh, Pareko played another year at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And then he went to the HL. 
and he played yeah. 17 games at the end of that season, at the end of his third year AHL, and he got seven points in 17 games. It was the only time he played in the AHL. He made the St. Louis Blues right. the next season. So talent. Different listen, trajectory. He's not a college boy. Wow, yeah, so talent, talent does tend to announce itself loudly and early for hockey players and you know Preco if if Wanner's going to make his move he's got one year to get his feet wet as a pro but it's like Lavoie last year Lavoie had to start scoring or he's done 100%. as a prospect and Wanner has this year to get get ready and then he's got next year and he's got to be in the top four next year if he's going to be a cheller so we'll see what happens fingers crossed I mean, yeah, Bruce, when you see him, he's just, he, he seems like one of those big, he, he reminded me of like Steve Smith, who was all like, who was also a same size and a low draft pick. And just very similar to that. Just, just really sharp with the puck and physical and knew how to handle himself on the ice and just a really good player. So um, that's going back to the 1980s, of course. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, that's that's who came to mind. Six, Steve Smith was a sixth round pick, and he was a, a guy they had to wait on for uh, uh, a good long time. His first year in the AHL, he scored one goal and eight assists in a full season. You look at that and say, well, it's not an NHL later player there. And later in that same decade, he managed to score 50 points in the NHL three different times. The guy got nine in the AHL his first year. I mean, these guys grow and change and evolve. And the big defensemen sometimes have the furthest to go, but then they come the furthest. And it's so hard to project that sometimes you can get a guy like that a little little, little further on down the road. Like, I mean, our own seventh rounder, Vincent D'Arne. 2016. It only took him seven years, man, but here he is in the NHL. Okay, Bruce, 5,000 bonus points if you can name the birthplace of Steve Smith. Yeah, he's from Scotland. Is it Glasgow? Bing, 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 bing. 5,000 <laughs> points to Bruce McCready. Um, so he was drafted in 81. and he I'll played him with my air miles. He was drafted in 81. Steve Smith played two more years of junior, just like um, Wanner. Wanner. And put up similar numbers those two years. And then he played one, two full years in the AHL before he broke in. So that's kind of what you'd expect from... So he had nine points. And then what did he get in his second year? That I just remember the rookie year as being so uh, underwhelmingly low numbers. Well, actually, your memory, Bruce, I'm shocked Uh-oh. to say that your memory fails you on this one. Uh-oh. He, he in his first in his rookie year 1985-86, which did, his rookie year did not end well. We won't get into that. But he put in the AHL. Oh, in the AHL. Here in the AHL, as a pro. What 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 Landers better now? To question the memory of the mighty McCurdy. Uh, nine points in 64 games in the AHL. <laughs> yeah, Bruce. One and eight, wasn't it? Yeah, one and eight. <laughs> what do you get in year two? Uh, two goals, 28 assists, 30 points in 68 games. So this is what I would like to see yeah. from Wanner, that exact same trajectory from yeah. Wanner. And then in his rookie year with the Oilers, he got 24 points in mm-hmm. 55 games. And then, yeah. and then he took off as a player. Like he, he, Paul Coffey got traded anywhere. He took over on the power play yeah. and a bunch of he things happened. Yeah. Edmonton <laughs> and Chicago. And he finished off but his he, He's a high bar, you know, and, and – um, yeah. Obviously, so Colton Pareko is a high bar, and so is uh, uh, Eric Chernak, a high bar. You know, a guy that sort of 
who is this guy? And then you see him and go, holy crap, that guy is, you never heard of him, but is he ever good? You know, and, yeah. and then he remains good for a while as all three of those guys. Nicholas Hag. I think Nicholas Hag, though, was the first pick overall, like a, not a well, overall, but first, pick. first second round pick. Was second. He round. second? Boy, that's a guy, that guy was a good player for Vegas last year. Bastard. Yeah. All right. Bruce, uh, we talked about everything. You got anything else? Uh, We did talk about the analytics guy, right? Who's got analytics in his title? Yeah, we did. Yeah. We talked about that. Yeah. I wonder if that, I almost wonder if that title of his is just sort of a little word drop. You know what I mean? buzzword of the let's get analytics in the title somewhere show that we're making progress like what the hell is video analytics and what the hell is coaching analytics i'm not personally sure uh no doubt there's something and no doubt it's something he's going to be doing at 28 years old i don't see him running the show you know that's like that's a little old no, he's not, guy, right? jackson's got to put together an analytics department he's yet to be yes this is one piece of the puzzle i absolutely yeah, agree this with is, that. he's he sounds like a, a, a video guy so mm-hmm. Alrighty, bruce well have a good day have a good walk i'm uh mm-hmm. i've got uh, i'm going to be going to a meeting tonight so I finished the Harry Potter series on audiobook. I've moved oh, yeah. on to, I've got another. How long did it ready. take to put, that's a long series, like seven thick uh, books or thickening books? Seven books, probably about a hundred and, they're, they're between 10 and 20 hours, those books each. Each, wow. Yeah, but it's, man, that was fantastic. I, I, I had no idea from watching those crappy movies that those books were so fantastic. And now I'm reading another book, uh, listening to another book on audio. It's if you mm-hmm. like science fiction, Bruce, I do. And, and, and this is a book about um, the physicists around the world are mysteriously killing themselves. Oh, yeah. And um, it's set in China mm-hmm. and it's called the three body problem. And I think anyone who loves science fiction and loves the science part of science mm-hmm. fiction, uh, the three-body problem is, is uh, a very real thing in uh, astronomy, physics and astronomy. Three-body problem, the, 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 the basic version of it is sun, moon, and earth. Uh, how, do the, how does the third body move in relation to the other two? And it's surprisingly complex and difficult. Oh, I had no idea. Like, I'm just, no, I'm about no, an hour, hour and a half. It's a term right out of astronomy, the three-body problem. So, cool, yeah. cool. I Good thought title. that was going to be secret bodies or something. I'm not, I wasn't sure what it was. <laughs> oh, it could be anyway, three dead bodies this, in the book. But <laughs> it, it is like, unlike, uh, I, I like, I love science fiction, but this mm-hmm. science fiction story has grabbed me from the start of the book as much as anything um, that I've seen in years. So I, I highly recommend uh, the three body problem. And I highly recommend Audible. I mean, if, um, if you, if you're out, if you've got a lot of housework to do or you go out on long walks, uh, there's nothing mm-hmm. better. I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts too, but podcasts. Podcasts are good, but I listen to our podcast, man. <laughs> it's my job. I, I audit our podcasts. Oh, oh that's God. good. <laughs> I couldn't bear to listen to all the ridiculous. Uh-huh. Well, I stopped say. watching on video because I couldn't handle it. But uh, <laughs> I, can't, I couldn't take. I'm it. just listening for. I make personally make mistakes. I'm ashamed of how many mistakes I make. Typically, I make at least one glaring error in a podcast, sometimes two. And I used to pride myself on getting my facts right. And I said, just re-listening is sort of humbling. 
experience uh, at times. Good. Well, I, we, we can end your critique there. We don't have to move on to the other person on the show. We can just leave it right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got one for you, though. If you liked, um, if you liked Harry Potter, uh, uh, Philip Pullman, The Golden Compass, and the, uh, it's a trilogy. And oh, really? One by the English author Philip I've Pullman. I've heard of him. I heard that yeah, name the recently. Golden Com- the Golden Compass, The Subtle Night, and The Amber Spyglass are the names All of right. the three books. Are these more recent books? Uh, just this century, but not new, new. Pullman. So. All right. Well, I, I'm uh, a huge fan of... That's it's more fan it's more fantasy than science fiction, but it's uh, very sure. cool, yeah. very cool fantasy, and it's uh, yeah. Well, I made my way through the Lord of the Rings a while ago, and uh, what else? Uh, oh, the Game of Thrones on audiobook, and, and uh, which was which was fantastic, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I mean, all those stories are fantastic. I'm getting to the well, point. Actually, they give where, the characters all their own voices. Like, is this a multi-voice yeah, thing? Author. It's not just an author reading the. No, no, no. They they dramatize it. They uh-huh. they make up the voices. They have a skill for that, and some of them are fantastic at it. And um, yeah, no. And uh, guy doing the Harry Potter books actually got better as it went along. Yeah. Andy Circus, yeah. who played Gollum in the movies, mm-hmm. does a audio book of the Lord of the Rings. I didn't list it. Anyway. That version of the Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings came out after I'd already listened to. It. Another version of them. So he Circus has a has a version of them, which I'm going to listen to in a few years. And the Harry Potter books also. There's a British version done by Stephen Fry, who is a oh, great yeah. comedian um, in England. And I I listened to the American version, which was fantastic. But if in in five or six years, I'll listen to the Stephen Fry version, uh, God willing. All right, Bruce. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll leave it there. And right. um, thanks for talking. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.